Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This is our sixth interlude episode. What that means for those of you that aren't familiar with it is that we didn't read anything, at least not for the show. I did do some reading this week, but nothing we're going to talk about. Um, So we're going to talk about some other book-related stuff, and uh, we're going to do some follow-ups on uh, previous conversations we've had and, and the newest installment of Patterson Watch. Stay tuned for that. Oh, Patterson Watch. I love me some Patterson Watch. I know. Did you see that picture of him holding a, a Nook color with, with our website on it? Yeah. Flattery. I mean, as much as maybe we give him uh, a hard time from time to time, he really he really tried to... to <laughs> damn it. It's so fake looking, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is. At any rate, I think it's funny, though. And that's probably going to be the uh, the logo for our interlude episode. Oh, that's a really great idea. Instead of you know, you just don't like that picture of you and I sitting in the cafe. No, actually, it's a really good idea, and you had it. You actually said that to me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, great start to the episode. Um, do you want to kick it off talking about uh, Mr. Mark Danielewski and what he's got going on? I would love to. Um, this is very exciting news for anybody who's a, a fan of uh, Mark Z. Danielewski, um, author of House of Leaves. We mentioned that on interlude episodes about as frequently as we mentioned Malaz Corbier. So uh, hopefully this isn't the first you're hearing of him. (laughs) Um, House of Leaves author, uh, a favorite book of mine, a favorite book of Rob's. And he has something very interesting coming out called The Familiar. Um, it's It's a serialized novel that looks like it's going to be 27 volumes long. Yeah, I saw Axel Tayari on Facebook posted a a link to an article about this the other day and. uh... You know, the only response I could put was uh, OMG because it's pretty exciting news. But uh, reading the reading the article, it was it was interesting. I guess he has this idea for a serialized book, and right now it says it seems like twenty seven volumes is what they have in mind, and it looks like he's going to have them coming out in what he's calling seasons, uh, five five volumes at a time. And I believe they're going to be three to four months in between volumes. Yeah, not sure. I mean, I'm very, very excited about a pro. You know, him putting together any type of project. I'm a little concerned about the serialization and doing it that way. It's uh, very reminiscent of the Green Mile from Stephen King, which was basically, in my opinion, it was a good book, and I actually read it um, in one volume um, after the serialization, but. You know, that turned into a way for him to sell one novel for like 28 bucks in paperback is what it worked out to. So it was like four bucks. Well, it was like four bucks a copy and it was like six or seven, you know, volumes. And then when it came out, it was like 10 bucks to get them all in one paperback. So be interesting to see what this is. Do you know anything about it, about what it's actually about? The story itself? No, actually, um, oddly enough, I don't think they even really addressed it in the in the article. They basically were I think they focused so much on the mechanics of doing a serialized novel that they didn't really talk about what the story was about. The last thing I saw from him that was official was that it was about a girl and her cat. (laughs) So very interesting to see if a, he was pulling our leg. Um, but I'm thinking it falls in with the familiar familiar be also being another word that, um, which is used for, for cats that are, you know, like spirits or something that, you know, that, that help them with their witchcraft and stuff. So it could very well be about a girl and her cat. Yeah, it, it looks interesting. And uh, as much as you have reservations about it, I have to imagine that with, like, 
um, the advances in, in technology and um, the different platforms that are available now for, for you know, reading stuff digitally, um, it might be a nice time to try something like this. But again, like, it's something that no one's really done or done successfully, so it could be a big stinker. We'll find out, I guess. Yeah, from the article, it says the novel is designed to accommodate, comma, anticipate various platforms. So it is it is definitely going to be interesting and something um, worth keeping an eye out for. I know I mentioned before on the show that um, <laughs> of his three um, published works, I've only read House of Leaves because I tried only Revolutions a couple of times, couldn't do it. And um, The Fifty-Year Sword um, has been basically unavailable to anybody who's you know isn't wealthy the first edition was only like a hundred copies and there's like kind of a rare second edition. I think it sells now for like 70 bucks or something. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess it's already paying off for Daniel Lewski though. He, uh, he got, he got a, um, I guess an advance or whatever you call him from Pantheon for the first 10 volumes of this, uh, serialized book and to the, to the tune of about a million bucks is what they're saying. So, um, yeah, wow. I'm trying to think of a million bucks if I had to write 27 volumes of something to get that, I'd, I'd be very motivated to do so. Agreed. Agreed. So, <laughs> yeah, that's not coming out till 2014, so we've got a long ways to go until we get a, a peek at that. But, um, as I just mentioned, the 50-Year Sword apparently will be out next October here in the United States in a wide-release version. So you can certainly look forward to hearing about that on Booked. I'm very excited to read it. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I have a copy of Only Revolutions, and I've never tried uh, cracking into it, so maybe between now and then, I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit just to catch up with uh, some of his other work. Good luck. That's all I can say to you. <laughs> yeah, that right. is about the toughest reading I've ever tried to do. Yeah, essentially everybody that we've talked to has, has said the same thing. They tried and they tried. Well, I guess they tried. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. I, it's on my long list. I'd really like to. I want to like it. I want to read it. But I've tried twice and failed miserably. So, yeah. So, uh, check back with booked in 2014 for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll update you periodically as we hear more information. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, an encouraging note. Um, in the article, he said he's he's working on the eighth volume right now. So he's got uh, some serious headway and. Um, the, you know, in my mind, obviously, since I know 2014 so far away, I keep thinking to myself, maybe something will leak, maybe something will leak. We should contact Pantheon Livius right now and try and get some advanced, uh, advanced volumes of these things. We could certainly do that. I mean, having a world famous book review podcast probably puts us in the running for that. I would imagine. Absolutely. Thank you to our two listeners that are outside the United States, by the way, for making us world famous. We yeah. appreciate. It. And world class. And world class. And in case anybody didn't notice, we were actually named the best book review podcast on the internet by Jonathan Mayberry in a commentary on the review we did for his Dead of Night book. That's right. So um, now my uh, elbow hurts from patting myself on the back there, so we should probably <laughs> move on to our next topic, which is uh, something Rob stumbled upon. Yeah, I don't know if this is just one of those things where I got more excited than I needed to about it or if it's just as awesome as it sounds. A uh, friend of mine posted recently an article that I was just completely spellbound by. Um, Livius, you know what CAPTCHA is, right? 
Yeah, it's that really annoying thing you have to do to prove that you're a human being on websites when you're trying to download stuff or submit for various things. And Yeah, um, and actually I found out from this article what that stands for. It's completely automated public Turing test to tell computers and humans apart. Um, and I guess the original idea was just exactly as simple as that, just to make sure that you're not you know, some sort of bot that's trying to do something. They'd throw distorted words up and make you spell them out or whatever it was. Uh, it turns out that at some point, uh, I think about five or six years ago, the, the guy that invented the CAPTCHA um, decided to kind of put it to good use. And they took, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to explain this. Uh, they took actual words from books that were, were being digitized and, and put them into these CAPTCHA things so that people who were entering, you know, who were using the CAPTCHA services and stuff like that would actually be um, translating or, or, or what, you know, doing the job of typically what would be optical character recognition software and actually, you know, translating these books into a digital format, helping them figure out what words were that were distorted or messed up or anything like that. Yeah, apparently the way that works is if enough people plug it in as the same word, um, that's what they transpose to the digital version of the book. So if enough people are reading it wrong, there might could potentially be some wrong words in there too. It's true. But, I mean, the logic is just brilliant to me. The guy was like, hey, this thing is, is working so wonderfully. Um, and I guess it's used, in the article they say, 200 million times per day. And the dude was just like, hey... You know, we're, we're digitizing all these books. Why don't we use this CAPTCHA technology to help figure out what these, you know, hard words are and stuff like that. And, yeah, it's, it's I don't know, that blows me away. Dude, you know, it's always interesting to see when Google loosens their purse strings. But what do you think this guy got for that? Because that just occurred to me that he probably got some just sickening amount of money for Google from Google to help them translate books. Yeah, especially since they've digitized... Uh, it, it looks like over 15, everything. Yeah, over 15 million books in the last like you know seven years or so. I have to imagine that essentially crowdsourcing, um, you know, digitizing books is going to save them a ton of money. Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting thing, or here's us as Rob thinks is really cool. I think it's really cool too. The coolest thing I found out about this is there's always two words. One of them is a real word, and it's the one that you can easily, like, make out. And the other one is the, the fuzzy one, the one that you're not really sure about, I think, is the one that they're getting um, crowdsourcing for. But you only have to get the one right, which would be the one that they know what the word is already. So going forward, I will be trying to only enter that one word in <laughs> and just make up another word for the second one and see if that works. You're trying to fool CAPTCHA. Exactly. Game the system a little bit. Exactly. I just want to all kinds of. So here's what I'm going to do from now on. Every time I can I readily identify the word that's wrong, I'm going to put in my name as it and see if I can show up in some classic volumes. <laughs> wow. Only you would think of would see this article and think of a nefarious way to uh, to undermine what what otherwise is a really uh, nice thing to do, I guess. Yep. I don't have anything else to say to that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm doing. Next thing we're going to see is there's going to be a class action lawsuit where everybody's going to try and get money out of Google for helping them digitize books. There you go. No everybody's going to get 32 cents for uh, 
their assistance in this process. Yeah, the best thing about it is that that the the technology is annoying, and I don't think anybody isn't annoyed when they have to like figure that out or, or you know or input that information and stuff. So, um, you know, at least now when I look at it, I know there's some benefit to it. You know, as opposed to just being annoying. Mm-hmm. So. Actually, the most recent one I had to do um, was uh, it said more golf. So then, so now when I do captures, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder what book this came from. Oh, interesting. I didn't think of it that way. So all right, very cool stuff. I did. I did really enjoy that article. Yeah, and when I proposed it for for the interlude episode, Livius was like, I don't know if that's really about books, and I'm like. Well, I don't know if that's exactly what you said, but it was kind of like this, I don't know if it's appropriate for the show kind of thing. And I was like, it's about books. It's about digitizing books. Sometimes I forget what the show's about. Yeah. Like right now. Right now, I have no clue what we're doing. (laughs) So that's it. Um, I'll I'll make sure that um, anytime we're referencing an article in this episode, I'll make sure I have it as a link in the post for uh, for the show so people can check that out as well. Very cool. Moving on to the next subject, this is uh, personally kind of fun and, and interesting for us. Um, quite a while back, uh, in June, maybe July, we uh, we reviewed uh, Z B and B from uh, David James Keaton, and then subsequently had him on for one of the more fun episodes that uh, that we've had. And uh, at this point, if you listened and you listened to what we told you to do and bought a Kindle edition of Z B and B. You are now the proud owner of a collector's item. Rob, you want to tell them why? Yeah, David uh, announced this on Facebook the other day. Um, I guess ZB&B was picked up by Living Dead Press, and they're uh, scheduling a print release of ZB&B as a standalone, its own thing, not as part of an anthology like it was before, uh, for March of 2012. So in that process, it actually got taken down off of Amazon, so if you have the Kindle edition, you are one of the few lucky people to get the pre-Living Dead Press release of ZB&B. He really should have numbered those editions, because I wonder how many there are. <laughs> oh, it's kind of funny. It is well, and, and versions, because he kept... Well, that, that's what I meant. Like, you know, like, well, what edition it is that's up there. Like, I know we have, like, like the very first one that hit, that hit Amazon. That's true. So. But beyond that, there were several revisions made, so it's kind of interesting. It's interesting to see. You know, I'm going to read it when it's in print just to see if it's even the same story. Well, yeah, I responded to his post because he was, you know, uh, seemed like he was pretty excited it was getting a, a print release. And I, <laughs> I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was essentially, well, now we get to uh, we get to suggest more things for you to pile into it before it actually goes into print, and then it's maybe be interesting. think about daring him to put some stuff in just to see if he'll do it. I'm just concerned that by the time it hits print, it's going to be about vampires and butterflies. <laughs> All right. Well, just if enough changes are made. Well, Eaton, if you're listening, throw some butterflies in there for us. Appreciate it. Yeah. Easy on the vampires though. Um, yeah. Congratulations to David for, for getting that picked up and uh, getting a print release of that. That's pretty cool. Very, very cool. Can can we do my favorite my favorite part now? Sure. Okay. All right. So here's here's my favorite part of the, of the uh, of the end of the episodes. Patterson watch. <laughs> so it's been a while since we've done uh, since we've done a Patterson watch, but there's all kinds of exciting things that are going on in the James Patterson world. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Kill Alex Cross came out, um, and if you want to see a, a fairly amusing video, uh, it's a uh, 
it's Patterson on his website teasing that, you know, would he really kill Alex Cross in a book? Maybe. But that's also <laughs> one of his big meal tickets, so it's unlikely that's going to happen. But a couple of uh, things of note here. It debuted at number one on the uh, New York Times bestseller list. Not a huge surprise there. Um, but what is surprising is that, uh, you know, we uh, we kind of ragged on uh, Simon and Schuster, I think it was. So is that who did Stephen King's last book? I don't even remember. For the ridiculous price tag on the uh, Kindle edition. Uh, Alex Cross, not the winner for highest Kindle price book, but pretty damn close at fourteen ninety nine. Get out of here, man. With a hardcover price of fifteen ninety four, or you know, on Amazon they have a you know vendor partners or whatever, so it'll say like Amazon price, or you can buy it new from yeah. fourteen fifty. So again, a situation where you can buy the hardcover for less than the Kindle edition, which makes me just very very sad. That just confounds me, man. I want to sit in on one of those meetings where they're like, "Well, we need to have this book at you know fifteen dollars, and here's why." Just I want to hear from the publisher the rationale for needing to go so high uh, when i first got my kindle i was thinking you know i was browsing through prices and even 9.99 to me seemed like it was pretty steep at the time and I, I i've gotten used to it i understand that there has to be a certain you know standard price but going 15 bucks is just i don't know i i, I really want to see what the actual rationale for for choosing that price is Here's my concern. There's obviously been an explosion of um, of e-reader purchasing recently, and we'll talk a little bit about the Kindle Fire and stuff later in the episode. But, um, you know, I have um, on a daily basis a chance to talk to folks who are looking to buy e-readers. And, uh, you know, it seems like this explosion of e-reader sales, most of them are wanting to know where to get free books and, you know, will the Kindle take accept books from their library and stuff. So, Obviously, somebody's paying you know fifteen bucks for ebooks, but I have to imagine that it can't really be that many people, right, that are forking that out for an ebook. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong because then you know the King and Patterson would be selling for eight ninety nine and nine ninety nine where they were you know once not that long ago, but it's kind of brutal, man. Fifteen bucks for an ebook. Yeah, I, I just can't wrap my mind around um th that anyway what else you got for patterson <laughs> all right so here's some interesting tidbits um patterson holds the new york times bestseller list record with 63 um new york times bestselling titles i don't know if that includes um kill james patterson his newest book um he sold kill 200 james patterson oh sorry kill alex cross i apparently had a freudian slip in there. <laughs> so we kill can't. alex cross yeah I'm reading James Patterson off my screen in my notes here. So um, he right. sold more than 220 million books worldwide. Um, and it says, uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. It says, also considering pass along and libraries, it's safe to say many more people than that have read a Patterson. So they're actually saying that more than 220 million people have read a Patterson book, which would imply to me, I mean, if it and I realize this is worldwide, but isn't the population of the United States like just under 300 million? It's like 320 or something like that. It hit 300 million like five years back. Yeah, I'm a little behind on news. So I didn't read it in a book, so I don't know. <laughs> but Patterson has grossed over $3 billion in worldwide sales. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's obvious he needs that 14 whatever for the. 14 e Yeah. 
Well, I'm going to reiterate one of my uh, one of my life goals now, my bucket list goals again, as I mentioned before, is to be the name in really small print on one of those co-authored James Patterson novels. That's that's what I'm shooting for now. So, all right, so let's think about this. 220 million books have been sold, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to imagine that you get the the people out there who are, are readers who they only buy things used. You know what I'm saying? So like, and Patterson books, my God, you can't go into a bookstore without like, you know, they're like having, going past the Patterson section where there's every book imaginable, like four different copies of it. Um, That's a big readership. But I mean, at the same time, now is that sold from the publisher? Like, you know, bookstores buy them and then they end up going to those, um, you know, those, what are they called? 599 bin? Well, yeah, that, but then there's, um, there's like a specific kind of reseller where they buy those books that never sold and sell them really cheap. Oh. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Those stores that pop up and they're like temporary stores. Yeah, all those weird stores. Like, so, <laughs> so like, I'm wondering if 220 million books is actually like a, f- a percentage of that for real of like actual readers. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, it would have to be. I'm guessing that's got to be like the published number, the number the publishers sold. But yeah, like it says here, library. So. When I used to frequent the library, I'd pop in there Tuesday because the the library I went to actually put out their new releases the day they came out. And, you know, there would be, you know, in the morning, maybe five or six or ten of the new James Patterson books. And those aren't the ones that were on hold. That was like the browsing section, like where you Mm -hmm. couldn't put them on hold. And I'm sure by the end of the day they were out. So, I mean, you have to think about, you know, libraries just cycling through Patterson books on loan, too. It's... It's a pretty scary number. Now, there are people who buy books and never read them, and those people who want to read a book are likely to pick up something by a best-selling author and not read it at all. So I don't know. I don't know how well that balances out. So what we're saying is that 220 million number is completely unreliable. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, for like you said, from reselling and from libraries and whatever, it could be considerably more than that, or it could even out to that based on how many of them bought a Patterson book for 18 bucks, put it on the shelf and then, you know, put it in the Goodwill bin and then someone else bought it. Maybe they read it or maybe they didn't. So. You know, to, to put a freaky perspective on things, and this is a number I haven't looked at in a long time. So I have to imagine it's bigger now. Uh, far as I'm aware, the Da Vinci code by itself has sold like more than 45 million copies. Mm-hmm. So that's like, you get, f- <laughs> and Patterson's got like 63 releases. So, all right. So I don't feel like he's such a big Titan superstar anymore. If Dan Brown can do, you know, with one book, what it took Patterson 63, you know, like I do the math on that, but you know what I'm saying? Like it would take five Da Vinci codes or whatever to, to equal a Patterson like library. Yeah. But you have to understand this is one guy that's put out 63 New York times bestselling books too. Uh, Dan, <laughs> is it one guy? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's one machine. It's <laughs> one book mill. Yeah, it's one book mill. Well, no, but you have to look at um, Dan Brown. That Da Vinci Code was his fourth book. I don't think Angels and Demons, which was actually, in my opinion, a better book, and I read it when it came out prior to the Da Vinci Code craze. Um, I don't think it, it it didn't go anywhere near that number. And, of course, his back catalog spiked with you know, the popularity of the Da Vinci Code. But the thing about that is that's another book that I'll bet you a ton of people bought because of the hype and never got pets. Page 30. It's true. That's true. Well, I mean, (laughs) I don't want to get into like a, (laughs) a surrogate pissing contest between two big authors who I don't really have a lot of respect for. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) 
Just throwing a little perspective out there. You got more Patterson for me? I didn't collect uh, the the extent of of my Patterson watch was um, making a very cheesy looking bad Photoshop of Patterson holding up a Nook tablet with um with the booked website on it. So this is all kinda, you. Kinda kinda crooked. <laughs> a little bit crooked. <laughs> and you know, I could have done something about that. I just didn't care enough to like make it look better. So I pretty sure I've never read a Patterson novel and I, I may have, I know I haven't read any of the Alex Cross ones, but even years and years ago, but um, apparently from uh, you can get the first 27 chapters for free um, of kill Alex Cross. I don't know how many chapters there are, if it's, you know, three pages to, to a chapter or whatever, but all right. Yes. Yeah, so you can go and get the first 27 chapters of kill James Patterson. After you read them, drop us an email. and <laughs> just know, Let us know uh, what you thought of it. Hang on. Again, you said kill James Patterson. God damn it. All I know is if something bad happens to James Patterson, I'm going to be a suspect. You can read the first 27 chapters of Kill Alex Cross for free on your Kindle, probably on your Nook, too. I don't know. I didn't bother to do that much investigation. So, hey, why don't one of you listeners read it and then email us and let us know how good it was. Because I do think that one of these days, Patterson's going to have a standalone novel he reads by himself, and I'm going to have to convince Rob that we're going to review it for the show. Yeah, that works so well with the Stephen King book. Hey, uh, are you a fan of the the TV show Castle? Um, I have never seen Castle. I've heard good things from you. Well, um, the premise for for people who wouldn't know is that it's essentially a writer who, um, in, in his latest novel, kills off the character, his main character, which is like his big money winner. And um, after killing this character, everybody obviously thought it was a really stupid thing to do. He he decides to um, kind of shadow a New York City uh, detective to get inspiration for his new series of books. And so if uh, Patterson actually does end up killing James Patterson or whatever the name of the main character is... <laughs> Um, <laughs> and then start shadowing a, a New York City police officer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry foul. I'm gonna say he's nothing but a copycat. I will call it life imitating art and be very classy about it. But he's actually done guest spots on Castle, so it would be even worse. <laughs> yeah, that would be even worse. That's enough reason for me not to watch it. So, <laughs> Patterson watch. That would be watch Patterson. We could have a whole that- different. Uh... All right. Oh, if we could only find the rails for the show. I know. We're just, well, interludes have no rails. This is true. So uh, while we're on the subject of e-readers, let's do a little bit of a follow-up to some stuff we had done uh, a couple weeks ago. Cool. Yeah. Now we can actually talk about both tablets on the same episode at the same time. We can. Um, So the Kindle Fire came out, I don't know, a little over a week ago, 10 days ago, maybe. And the Nook tablet, I believe, launched uh, two days ago. So um, I have had hands-on experience with both of them. Um, and uh, Rob has actually tried the Kindle Fire. Rob, what did you think about the Kindle Fire? All right. I was really excited about the Kindle Fire just because, um, well, partly because I was buying into the hype and everything. And partly because it just looked really, it looked good. And the idea of of the greater functionality and that special web browser that they had created just for the Kindle fire and everything. I was really excited about the potential that it had. And I was, uh, I was in like a target for some reason and they had one on display. They had one that you could pick up and look at and, and actually use and everything. And I 
I picked it up and the moment it left the little cradle it was sitting in, I was like, my God, this is heavy. It's, it's, I, I don't know what the actual weight is, but it felt like it was like six or seven pounds. It felt like laptop heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's totally an exaggeration, but six and a half pounds. Yeah. Right from their website. <laughs> <laughs> but it felt like, I mean, and I know I'm used to a Kindle, which weighs, um, like, you know, I think it actually doesn't weigh anything. And, the regular Kindle. And so picking up this fire, I was like, my God, it, it felt at least as heavy as like an iPad or something like that. And it, uh, right away it was kind of a turnoff. So, um, after that kind of using the interface <laughs> and actually earlier today, um, Livius and I were, were hanging out and I, I was playing around with a, uh, another display model of a Kindle fire. And, and I went to do something and I'm like, my God, there's no buttons at all on this thing. Mm-hmm. It is uh, it is missing some very basic features in my opinion. But back to the weight, it uh, it weighs fourteen point six ounces, which is just under six and a half pounds for anybody doing the conversion. <laughs> um, and in comparison, the iPad two um, weighs one point three pounds. So what would that be? That would be like twenty you know, twenty two yeah. ounces. Um, so, uh, but you know, we're comparing a seven inch tablet to a ten inch tablet. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very heavy. It lacks uh, the most basic feature, I thought. I mean, let's remember that this isn't, uh, it's not just a reader, which is what a lot of people are thinking, or that it's, you know, primary function as a reader. It's a tablet, and it has no rocker volume buttons. Yeah, that right away, that's a bad sign, especially if you're going to, um, I mean, play games on it and, and watch streaming video and stuff like that. How could you not have something as simple as just like a little volume rocker? So for anybody that doesn't understand that there are volume controls within, you know, each application or whatever that you can turn you know, <laughs> up and down, but they're, they're, they're inside the software, which is nowhere near as convenient. And that's exactly what I did. I put on a game. I was at work. I put on a game. It was really loud. I'm freaking out looking for a way to turn it down. And there isn't one, you know, that's how I discovered it lacked the, uh, the volume rocker, but you know, the user interface is really clunky. I mean, it, it's smooth. It operates smoothly, but it's just it's just kind of inconvenient. I mean, you know, you'd think that somebody who's had a couple of smartphones and is pretty familiar with tablet technology, like I should be able to pick that up and know exactly how to operate the the user interface. And it's just not that easy. The cover flow, like they have kind of a cover flow looking um, system for when you're flipping through your your newspapers and magazines and books and apps and stuff like that. And scrolling through that was remarkably easy, and it looked good. It looked snappy, and the graphics were good and everything, but I'm going to go with Livius. Just um, the experience in general kind of left me, I don't know, a little bummed that it wasn't cooler or, or nicer. And, yes, Rob, I, I, to, to give the good points, too, it has a beautiful, beautiful display that they immediately ruined by putting like almost a highly reflective (laughs) piece of glass over it. Like you can play angry birds and like comb your hair in it at the same time. And this is just in like retail lighting. Like I can't even imagine what it'd be like outdoors. I mean, I think you could then just use it flat out as a mirror. Yeah. It's, it's got the, yeah, there's no glare reduction set up at all. It's just glare. It's like, it's a glare amplification system. I think they have going on. It's really rough. So um, now my my question though is is the Nook tablet different than that? I know I've seen the Nook Color. I actually haven't touched a Nook tablet. Um, you if you have seen a Nook Color, you have seen a Nook tablet. They look 
um, nearly identical, the user interface, and I only had a chance to very briefly play with one. So if I speak out of line here, it's only because I didn't have more time to play with it. But um, I couldn't tell a difference between the user interface on it. Um, it's the exact same shape with that weird cutout in the corner that I don't understand, like in the bottom left corner. Like it, like like it looks <laughs> like you're going to clip it onto your like key ring. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> hey, you can carry this around as a keychain. Um, you know, the differences look to be all internal. Um, I think the little less glare, but I also think the display isn't quite as sharp. And like I said, I haven't had a chance to side by side compare them. I will eventually. But um, the only difference between it that I could tell right offhand is it's a lighter shade of gray than the than the Nook color. So that's the differentiator. Looks a little shinier, I guess. So it's just kind of like a, a beefed up. It really is just a beefed up Nook color. Yeah, but again, the beefed up part is what will allow you to, to you know add additional apps and stuff to it. It makes it the difference between a tablet and a reader. So uh, Kindle, Amazon, Mr. Amazon, if you're if you're listening. Um, let's get a better fire out there. I mean, like the way you're moving, but uh, we're a little disappointed right now. Yeah, we're also disappointed you didn't send us one to play with, too. Yeah, Mister Mister Amazon. That's right, Mister Amazon, sir. If you're in the <laughs> if you're in the market for something like that, I strongly urge you to look at, at some other devices. Um, the Arcos company has a new eight inch tablet that's out. I haven't seen it in person, but spec wise, it's sharper than. Uh, then the fire it's probably lighter weight than the fire and has just a better user interface and yes you can do almost all the same things you can do on the fire you can still read kindle books you can still play angry birds i don't know if you can get amazon streaming on anything but um the kindle just because i didn't care enough but you know get netflix seriously if you're going to watch streaming video go with netflix that's fair and actually my experience with um the kindle fire actually reinforced uh, for me, something that you said on an earlier show that I was kind of wishy-washy about on the time, but um, obviously the question I asked myself when I was playing around with one is, like, would I want to read a book on it? And this would definitely send me back to the far cheaper e-ink Kindles. Like, the Kindle Touch would be my choice right now if I had to choose a new a new reader to, to use. Um, I'm going to chime in and, and I know initially I said I wasn't a big fan of the touch screen for, you know, for reading and stuff, but, um, given a choice between the new Kindle and the Kindle touch, um, I'd still like the buttons that are on the standard Kindle version. Um, but the fact that it lacks a MP3 player kind of bugs me a little bit because I do really use mine quite a bit on my Kindle. I did not know that. Yeah. To specify, I guess I, uh, <laughs> those dorky things I shouldn't say in public. Um, there are times where I read in a coffee shop and there's the, you know, the, the chatty people sitting next to you. I actually just have a white noise track on my Kindle that I play in the background to drown out people so I can focus on my reading. There it is. And the new, and you had to get that in there. <laughs> hey, actually, you could blend two worlds together a little bit. You could, uh, well, no, I guess I was thinking those Spotify playlists, but you'd have to download songs and then put them on there. And, uh, yeah, 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 you know, but if the songs have lyrics, I can't focus on reading oh yeah yeah all right it's classical music or oh or on occasion i listen to something a little weirder like some frogs and crickets and stuff no i was thinking more like explosions in the sky some axel tayari music uh, some of the weird stuff that he uh that he <laughs> shares online and i go and download it i'm like this is perfect but yeah a lot of times it's just it's and i shouldn't even say white noise i'm actually a big fan of brown noise are you i don't even know what you're talking about? Uh, 
white noise is the the static you picture coming from your TV, like your old school TV, if you were like on channel 31 or something where there was nothing. Brown noise is a, a deeper, deeper version, like a more muted, bassier version of white noise. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a, there's white noise, pink noise, and brown noise, and I don't think it expands past that. But yeah, there are three different levels of, of white noise. Hey, you can just... Um... <laughs> you can just get Dak O'Donnell to send you up some good didgeridoo music. Nice. Or I could just listen to these episodes while I'm reading. Yeah. Well, that'll just put you right, uh, yeah. right out. You should make our public service announcement. If you're listening to this while driving, please pull over and listen to the rest of the episode before continuing on your way and do not operate heavy machinery while listening to Booked. Thank you. Well, well actually, um, on the post for our latest episode, the Michael Paul Gonzalez and In Search of a City uh, episode that just went up the other day, uh, a booked a friend of booked Frank Edler posted a comment that said, "Locked and loaded. I'm counting on another great episode of Booked to get me through the workday." So uh, maybe it charges some people up. Maybe it actually gives energy and excitement to people. We're gonna find out that he works at a sleep clinic. <laughs> yeah, he's just sleeping through entire shifts. We're gonna read an article where it's like local. 911 dispatch Frank Edler was fired today from his job for sleeping. <laughs> no, I was going a whole way. He never actually said anything. He said to get him through his work day, so he uses it to put other people to sleep so he doesn't have to listen to him bitch about like all the wires that are hanging off of him and stuff. So, and no point in there did he say he wants to listen to it. That's the point. That's, <laughs> That's the a good point. point. All right. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for the kind words, Mr. Edler. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the enthusiasm. We're. <laughs> We use it to make fun of ourselves or kind if of only, in a way. <laughs> if only we could be half as enthusiastic. Speaking of exciting news and things that are coming up, um, on November 14th, so just about a week ago, Snubnose Press announced that they've got a few new people on their roster uh, uh, for stuff that's coming out in 2012. Livius, who they got coming up? They have Richard Thomas, Craig Walwork, and Nick Corpin all lined up for uh, for 2012 releases, which is very, very cool. Yeah, Craig placed a, a novel with them. They, they're working on the title. Richard has a collection of short stories that will be coming out, and Nick actually has two things. They're going to be publishing a story collection called Bar Scars and also publishing his novel Old Ghosts in ebook format. So that's a pretty exciting uh, mini lineup of, of people that we've had on Booked or talked about on Booked for Snubnose Press for 2012. And, you know, I'm excited to read more by all three of those guys. But um, so far, everything I've read from Wallwork has been very short fiction. So I'm really excited to read a novel from him. Yeah, I agree. We've uh, we've talked a surprising amount about the guy for just having read a couple of his short stories on the show. So having a full novel will be yeah, pretty cool. It's only because he's replaced um, Malaz Corbier as our favorite foreign friend. Which, by the way, we did offer Malaz the opportunity to, to give us a Malaz minute for this interlude episode. And um, he, he declined. He said he didn't really have anything specific to say, but I will pull up the message he sent me. And it's kind of his explanation of, of why he's not going to be on. Oh, can you do it and, and pretend you're him? Like an no, ex I, like I, it? <laughs> I, I can't Oops. do justice to it. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can't either. <laughs> Hey, if anybody does a really good Malaz Corbier impersonation, if you would shoot us an email, we'd love to have you record some stuff as Malaz for when he can't get in a Malaz minute. <laughs> he basically, all right. So he says, 
he didn't have anything literature related to talk about. Um, and he wanted us to, to name drop him by ba- basically saying this is the first interlude where we don't mention Blaz. So uh, it, it can't be the first interlude that we don't mention, mention Blaz if we mention that we're not mentioning him. So I don't really know what he was going for there. Um, but yeah, that's it. And uh, Rob wears silly hats. So I guess that was my Malaz impression at the end there, right at the end. Um, yeah. So if anybody does a good Malaz impersonation, just hit us up <laughs> shoot us an email. Thank hit us you. up on Facebook. So it's got a little sidetrack there talking about uh, our uh, Dutch correspondent, Mr. Corbier. But I just want to say that, um, you know, I've been aware of Snubnose for a while, but um, after seeing who they're adding to their roster, um, I'm very, very uh, much looking forward to keeping an eye out on them. I'll be honest, from the name, I thought they were just straight up crime fiction, um, but it apparently they're probably a little bit of a darker side to them there, too, a little noir stuff going on. So Snubnose, we're keeping our eye on you. That's right, and feel free to send us free stuff. Exactly. If you want to keep an eye on us, just send us free stuff. So. <laughs> Uh, hey, let's tell folks about what we're doing next time. Okay, uh, we're going to go back to a book review episode uh, next time around. And I'm, I am i know that I personally am pretty excited about this because it's um, something I did a shout-out for probably 40 episodes ago or something like that. It was one of our early-on episodes. Um, Josh Deach, the guy that we mentioned before, has a book called Strangeness in the Proportion. I gave a shout out to it originally because um, it seemed really interesting and everything, but at the time, it essentially wasn't available for sale. It was in the process of, it was in the very long process of, uh, it was fully edited and done and everything, but they were working on the ebook, they were working on all this stuff. So um, he got a release date. It actually just came out um, this past week or so in PDF format uh, through White Wolf, and it's $4.99. And they, I guess there was there's some technical issues they're working through with the layout for ebook formats. But once those come out, anybody who's bought the PDF format uh, will will get the ebook for free for no extra charge. So Strangest in the Proportion is out right now, and we're going to be doing a review of it for our next episode. I am also very excited because we've had uh, we've had this for a while. It was available serialized on White Wolf's website, which is one of the reasons we didn't review it is we weren't sure how many people wanted to read a novel length episode on their computer. Um, so we're very excited that it's available on mobile platforms now. Um, the premise is uh, is pretty interesting. Um, Rob, do you have a do you have the synopsis handy? I don't have it handy, but uh, why don't you do you remember what your favorite one was? I thought it was. Uh... Or I, I might have it memorized. No. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back one piece at a time. That was my favorite one. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's all we really need to say about that right now. We'll be doing an episode about it next week. Josh also kind of alluded to the fact that they're working on a print edition of it as well, but not really too much information. But uh the, we're excited now we can pull the trigger on doing a review because it's available for people to purchase and have an, an, at least an electronic version of, of the book to read along with. Absolutely. So that's what's coming up next. Um, hey, tell people where they can get a hold of us because I did mention people emailing us and sending us free stuff, and they may need to know where to do that. Okay. You can find us at our website, which is bookedpodcast.com. You can email us bookedpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at bookedpodcast 
which I guess I'm, I've heard other people actually read out the whole thing. So it's twitter.com slash book to podcast. But uh, who really types in that web address? Uh, and you can uh, reach Livius at area code. Oh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Where can they find our episodes, Livius? They can find our episodes in a plethora of locations, um, not, you know, including um, the iTunes store. Um, where it's available for free. When I say store, I guess you can just get it on iTunes. It is free. Um, they can get it at our website, which Rob already mentioned. The Zune Marketplace for you Zune owners. I know that's where you're listening, and uh, apparently you're so busy listening that you don't have time to let us know you're listening there, but it's okay. We know you're out there. And uh, Stitcher Smart Radio for smart listeners. Smart, yeah. Got, Who got a very cars? cool. Yeah, got a very cool Android update this week where you can like create your own channels. So... I'm not really sure what that means, but you can like put your favorites in. And I guess it'll just loop through and play those episodes. I haven't played with it yet, but it is a nifty looking update. Did you get that bookmark thing yet? I don't think so. Didn't see it on there. Well, let me and, tell you something. I, I was. Oh, you got something to say? No, no, go ahead. Let me tell you something. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you something. I'm going to see if you had something to say. Uh, I, I mentioned the, the bookmark thing before, and I thought it was really cool. And then I noticed that you could only do one bookmark in any given episode. And I was like, well, what the hell good is that? Um, just to be able to have one bookmark and something. So uh, I don't know if this came with the with the recent update or whatever, but on the main uh, like home screen where you can choose the different options, there's actually a bookmarks selection, and it actually archives, I guess, any episode that you've made a bookmark in. You can go back to that episode and right to the point where you drop the bookmark. So it's a good way to archive episodes that you that you like and you want to go back to or you you know you found some you know you had a website you want to go uh check out and you want to make sure you can remember what the link is or you just something was hilarious and you want to go back to it um so now now that i fully understand <laughs> the functions of the bookmark uh it, it is actually a really cool thing so check it out at least on the iphones i don't know when uh and google ch- intends to to catch up with the android app um, I'm looking at it. I still don't think there's a bookmark app, but uh, <laughs> what I did notice is, oh, by the way, would you like to care what the very first thing I listened to on the new Stitcher app was? Uh, well, it was booked, of course. No, it was the return of the Fat Nate podcast. Oh, you had to mention them, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, we get we get 30 cents every time we mention them. So we don't actually get 30 cents every time we mention them. Um, but I was looking at what listeners also like, and I don't know how accurate this is, but listeners for Booked on Stitcher also like Paperweights, Irreverent Muse, Brian Burps About Books, um, Other People with Brad Listy, Bookworm Banquet, uh, Feature Check Books, and by check, it's C-Z-E-C-H. Um, it's a fortnightly feature looking at Czech writing today. So uh, I haven't heard from any of our Czechoslovakian fans. But um, drop us a line. Drop it in Czechoslovakia, and we'll use Google Translate to uh, to translate it out if we need to. Especially since Czechoslovakia is no longer a country. Oh, yeah. Well, that too. Did that actually happen? What are they now? Well, there's the Czech Republic, and um, I think it's just as, as simple as Slovakia. I'm not 100% sure. They just dropped the cool part of their name? Well, you know what? Let's go over to Wikipedia. And find out. I think it was in like the early '90s that they dissolved. Um, if somebody can recommend a good fiction book about this uh, dissolving of Czechoslovakia, I'm all for reading it and finding out what's going on with those people. <laughs> Czechoslovakia. All right, hang on. Here we go. Czechoslovakia. 
It, yeah, wow. and no, on January 1st of 1993, it split into the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Hey, I was right. I was right on everything I said. Dude, they actually split the country and then just split the name in half. <laughs> Seriously, right? They One actually... part's the Czech Republic, the other part's Slovakia. Yep, that's it. Nice. Oh, you think anyone's still listening? No, they. Once we get to context, I'm sure everybody just tunes out because they don't want to see what terrible music I put at the end. That's true. What are we doing this week for music? Mm. We've given this no thought, but you picked music for quite a few weeks. So even if you do this week, I will be throwing up some music for the next episode. Very good. All right. Um, I think we're we can't really say anything else unless we get into the history of other countries. Yeah, and I'm not very well versed in that. So. Let's say this. Um, hey, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rebels, and keep reading.